Good morning, everybody. My name is Pastor Jeremy. I'm the preaching pastor here. I'm delighted to listen to Monica and the team sing glory and praise and honor to God this morning, our great King. Amen? Amen. What you don't know, and what Monica doesn't know at this point, is that she's actually a DC Talk fan, I found out this week. I was teasing her a little bit to see what she would do for us this morning, but evidently that's a cameo at some later point in time. But anyways, I have something to show you before we start our worship service this morning. It's something that's been a project in the works for a little while, and I'm really excited about it because uh, the point of this whole thing is um, as we seek to proclaim God's glory and see his kingdom uh, build up now in our hearts and look forward to its final consummation in uh, reality on our planet in the future, Uh, we want to reach out to the lost and be a welcoming community and put our best foot forward as well to say that we want to provide an excellent experience for you and uh, give you the opportunity to come into the presence of God and worship and to be encouraged by the brothers and sisters in Christ here. And so um, in the past, one of the ways that you would do that is you would have a phone book and people would, you know, think, hey, you know, maybe I want to go to church this Sunday. I don't know. I've had some hard times in life or maybe we need to get back into it or I've got questions about God and Jesus and stuff like that. And so they pick up this big honking thing full of, you know, advertisements and stuff and they look up church and they start to flip through and they're like, ah, I think that's a good one. I, yeah, it's over by Walmart. Let's try it, Right. And that's the way they roll. Well, now it's a little bit different. Now people go like this. They pull their phone out, right? And they hit church or God or Jesus or Midland. And boom, something pops up. And so what our desire, at least mine, and I believe much of our uh, pastoral staff and people here, is to put our best foot forward and say, hey, here we are. We want to show you what we believe, who we are, and why we exist. And and we don't want to be sloppy about it because we've got a lot of good people in this church who are highly competent, highly qualified, and care about God and the things they do. So let's do our best and put our best foot forward. So with that in mind, here's what I have to show you. This is the new website of our church. So if you pick up your phone and you Google you know, uh, churches in Midland, this is what you'll see. And I'm excited about it because what you see is it's, uh, it's very visual, it's very graphic, and what you're seeing switch right now are the banners, which just kind of announce the stuff that's going on. So it's not like you have to read a paragraph or whatever. You immediately you just get a picture and you know, oh, okay, they're doing something different in the summer. They've got this sermon series going. There's day camp coming up. That's pretty cool. Oh, yeah, the Global Leadership Summit, good enough. All right, so if I want to visit, I just go over here to the Visit tab. I'm going to click on that and say, okay, where is this place at? And I click on it, and all of a sudden it gives me a nice little map, gives me the address, a contact form, and other things. I think, okay, I can find it. Let me learn a little bit more about it. Okay, there's what they believe. There's their story. Here's some pictures of their staff. Here's the various ministries they have going on, all going to be kicking off in the fall. If I want to get more involved, I can come over here to connect. If I'm looking for some resources or information, I just... Hit that tab, and of course, last but certainly not least, we have everybody's favorite, the giving tab as well, which 
also makes it easier for you to give as well because you don't actually have to come if you're away at the lake. You can still send cash. Don't worry. So <laughs> there you go. Online giving as well. If you're like, now, where am I at? How do I go home? Well, you click on the really cool little logo with the world and the harvest, and there you go, back home. So I'm excited about it. Hopefully you'll be excited as well. You can direct your friends. If they have any questions, you can just say, hey, go to the website. You'll find everything you need to know, and it won't be an embarrassment either. So way to go, Sally and team. All right. Well, I'm excited to share with you from the Word of God this morning. We're going to continue our psalm series. We're going to be in the 96th psalm today. Uh, You could call it a chapter or a psalm or whatever you'd like, but it's the 96th one. You'll find it up on the screen here in a little bit. Before we begin, I want to introduce it to you just a little. And you'll find it in your Bible as well. Psalm 96. Now, I have in my hand a book uh, that's important to us as a family. It's not the Bible, but it's a really cool series called The Little House on the Prairie. You know this one. It's written by Laura Ingalls Wilder. And this one's near and dear to our hearts for a number of reasons, one of which is that my family has roots in Missouri, And if you know anything about uh, Laura Ingalls, she settled down with Almanzo in Mansfield, Missouri, which is about an hour to the east of Springfield, which is where we're from. So after we made it through this series for the first time over the winter with our children, we went back and visited uh, her her farm there. And it was really, really cool because you could see all kinds of paraphernalia all the way down to even Paws Fiddle itself so yeah it's great we toured the farm we looked at it and then we remembered all the stories and then saw all the stuff that was involved in those and one of the phrases that came to mind if you've read this series that ma was famous for saying is after any adventure that they had gone through she would basically break it down and summarize it in this one phrase she'd say well all's well that ends well And over and over again, whether it was a long, hard winter or a chimney fire or scarlet fever or the death of their favorite dog, Jack, she would always come back to that phrase. And so today I want to show you a little brief episode where she actually doesn't use that phrase. And I say that on purpose because someone's going to go look it up and check and then call me back next week. But in this story, you kind of get the idea of what Ma means when she says, all's well that ends well. This one is called Two Big Bears. Roar. Okay. All right. So it went like this. One day, Pa said that spring was coming. Now, of course, every spring, Pa must go to town and trade the furs of all the wild animals he'd been trapping all winter long. But Ma was a bit concerned because she knew that springtime, well, the bears are waking up and they're hungry. And as you know, when any bear is hungry, he gets a bit cross at this time of year and they've been sleeping in their dens with nothing to eat and it makes them thin and angry when they wake up. And Pa had so many furs to carry, he couldn't take his gun. So he went on this long trip and he went down to town and 
he didn't make it back before dark that night. And so Ma and Laura were left to tend the livestock. Now Laura was excited because she had her first opportunity to help Ma on the farm. And her job was to carry the lantern. So she went outside. She walked behind Ma on the path to the barn. And little bits of candlelight from the lantern leaped all around her on the snow. The night was not quite yet dark. The woods were dark. But there was a gray little light on the path. Now, interestingly enough, Laura was surprised to see the dark shape of Suki, the brown cow, standing at the barnyard gate. Well, Ma was surprised, too. It was too early in the spring for Suki to be let out in the big woods to eat grass. She lived in the barn. But some days, on warm days, Pa let her out of the barn in order to get a little extra to eat. Now, Ma went up to the gate, and she began to push against it, but Suki was not moving. So Ma just reached over and slapped old Suki on behind and said, Move along, Suki. Then all of a sudden, they noticed something. Suki had thin, short, brown fur and large, gentle eyes. But this thing had long, shaggy, black fur and two little, glittering eyes. All of a sudden, Ma said, Laura, walk back to the house. And very quickly, Laura turned around and obeyed her mother. They got inside, slammed the door, and Laura said, Ma, was it a bear? Yes, Laura, it was. And Laura began to cry and cry. She hung on to Ma, and she said, Oh, Ma, is she going to eat Suki? And Ma's like, No, Suki is safe in the barn. But he could have hurt us, couldn't he? Well, he didn't hurt us, Ma said. You're a good girl to do exactly as I told you and do it quickly without asking why. Ma was trembling all over and then she began to laugh a little bit and said, To think, I slapped a bear. (laughs) Well, what do you know? All's well that ends well, right? Today as we look at Psalm 96, you're going to see a very similar theme. And I'm going to have a more of a theological main point for you, but I think you can remember it in a very short way. It's basically this, that all's well that ends well. And if you read the last chapter of the Bible, you'll find that in fact Jesus says, all ends well. It ends well. And if Ma is right that all's well that ends well, and Jesus is right that all ends well, then guess what? All is well. All is well. Psalm 96 says this. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord and bless His name. Tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all other gods, for all the gods of the people are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come to His courts. Worship the Lord in splendor of His holiness. Tremble before Him, all the earth. 
say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. And he will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the fields exult and everything in it. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes, he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in faithfulness. As you can see from looking at this psalm, the main command I would say to you is rejoice. What you'll in fact see is that there are three different couplets or sets of commands, but they can all be basically summarized with the one word which I say is to rejoice. Now you might ask that question that I was asking right away. Well, if the Bible says to rejoice, why? Why should I rejoice? In fact, as I look around, there are a lot of things that make me feel quite the opposite. The world is messed, evil goes unchecked, bad guys get away, and people who deserve to be punished aren't. How then can I rejoice? Why? Why should I rejoice? And the answer of this psalm, as you move through it, what you'll see is that the reason we should rejoice is that the king is coming. But why does it matter? Why, why should I rejoice the king is coming? Besides the fact that I am obligated to him, I'm supposed to be a loyal servant, why should I rejoice? Well, because when the king comes, he will judge the nations with equity. In other words, he will set things right. He will make it all well. He will straighten it out. He will fix the mess, solve the problems, and provide the solution. Rejoice because the king is coming to make it right. So the three commands that you'll see in today's passage are these. They are three. They are sing, ascribe, and share. Sing, ascribe, and share. They're repeated in each of the frames except for the share, and the reason is for emphasis. So what we'll do is we'll just walk through each of these three commands and show you how this works in your life. So in verse 1, it says this. It says, Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord and bless His name. You get the idea of sing here, but I think the important part for you to understand is the word new. The word new. And the reason for that, as hinted earlier, is that if you're singing the same old song, you're probably singing a dirge. Woe is me, life is miserable, this stinks, there's no purpose, there's no meaning, nothing goes right, nothing goes well. And the psalmist steps in and says, with the intervention of God, because of his grace, all of that evil is overcome. And as a result, you are given the opportunity to sing a new song, to change your tune. Because God has stepped in to fix it. One commentator by the name of Brugman, he um, establishes a pattern like this. He says, you can see it in the Psalms, and I think you will be able to see it in your lives as well. And basically, he says, the phase of the Psalm, and indeed the phase of our lives, kind of works like this. We move from orientation to disorientation to new orientation. From orientation to disorientation to new orientation. What do I mean? Well, you're going along in life and things are going well and things seem to be going fairly smoothly. You've got a nice rhythm, routine, or whatever, and all of a sudden, whammo, 
a wrench is thrown into the system. And everything's out of whack. And you're like, what is going on here? Things are messed up. I do not know what to do. Now, at that point, God has got your attention. Where you thought you had things under control and things were moving along fairly nicely and you knew what you were doing, all of a sudden, God has grabbed your attention and you realize that, man, I can't do this myself. I need a little outside help. All of a sudden, you get refocused on him. You began to pay attention to what he's doing and you cry out to him for help and you examine your life to see if, hey, maybe there's something you know, that I'm not doing right that I need to fix. And you go through this process of disorientation, the seasons of hurt, alienation, suffering, and death, and all of a sudden you come to a new realization, the new orientation, the perspective that God is bringing you to when you are overwhelmed with his gifts and his grace and his work in your life. And then, at that point, the joy breaks through the despair. We can see this happening in the psalmist in a very real way in his biography as David goes through many phases of his leadership in the nation of Israel. And at one point, you know, he's king, he's on the throne, he's doing well, and all of a sudden crisis is introduced, there's disorientation, and there's trouble. And he calls out to God and asks for help. And God delivers him. So too with the nation itself, when they are doing well, you watch their borders expand, you watch their crops succeed, and you watch their enemies sort of run and hide. But when the nation begins to rebel, all of a sudden their borders shrink, their crops fail, and their enemies attack. And the people cry out and they say, God, please come help. We need you. We need a deliverer. We need someone to step in and intervene. We need a king. And in many ways, this is what the psalmist is calling us to do as New Testament believers, is to identify here with the people of Israel in this process. So whether it is your life and the experiences that you've had, or maybe even your conversion, or your growth that you're going through right now, you will see the same thing. If you're a non-believer, and all of a sudden you think the world operates this way, then you're confronted with God, and you're your perspective begins to change and as grace comes into your life, you get a whole new perspective. If you're a believer, but you're you know, not headed down the path he wants, the same thing. And you grow as a result. As a result, you identify with this new perspective and you look for the king to come into your life. So you go through a season of hurt and alienation and you cry out to God for help. And you say, God, I like the old... Testament people of Israel, I need a deliverer. I need someone to help me where I cannot make it through myself. And this is the really cool thing about the New Testament then, is Jesus comes in in Matthew chapter 25, he says it like this, he says, okay, you're going through this process right now, you had an orientation, you've been disoriented, you're looking for deliverance, I promise you, all's well that ends well. Let me give you a hint of how this is going to go. In Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 31, Jesus says this. He says, When the Son of Man comes in glory and all his angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. And before him will be gathered all the nations. Then with the psalmist, we remember, he will execute judgment among the nations. And with the Old Testament law, we're reminded that the Lord will vindicate his people. And have compassion on his servants. 
And Jesus goes on and says, you know, look, I will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his rights and the goats on his left. And then here it is, the thing we've been longing for. The king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. This is what we as New Testament believers are looking forward to. In this season of disorientation in our lives right now where we see injustice, we're wanting deliverance, we're looking to the King, we're waiting to that point where the perfect Messiah will come back, establish His rule, and establish justice, equity, peace, and harmony in absolute perfection throughout the entire land. This is the New Jerusalem or the second coming of Christ. Now, as I talk about that, I know that we think about that and say, wow, that, that sounds really great, Pastor. It's kind of blowing my mind, a perfect world, but I've got no point of reference whatsoever. I have no idea what you're referring to. What do we know from Scripture that the New Jerusalem is like? I mean, give me something concrete. Give me something tangible. Fill in the blanks here, because it's one thing to have the pie-in-the-sky, mystical vision of wishy-washy, feel-good sentimentalism, but what is the concrete reality that I will look forward to and experience in the future? What do we actually know from Scripture the New Jerusalem is like? Well, as I began to look into that this week, there are a number of pictures we're giving. We're not exactly always given the concrete details that we would like. But what we know is this. Here are several things we know about the New Jerusalem. We have, in the Garden of Eden, a bit of a foreshadowing. In other words, we know that the world began in a perfect way and that we corrupted it. It's a little bit like this. This last uh, couple weeks ago, my family and I went down to Lansing. I'm not saying Lansing's the New Jerusalem. <laughs> but there's a really cool park there called Hawk Island Park. And what happened is this old... Um, rock quarry and they got this big environmental grant and they completely redid it so they brought in all these beautiful trees and they brought in brand new grass and they established this beautiful green space and we went down there and we were swimming in the little uh, swimming hole and there's a sandy beach and then the lifeguards had to check the water to see if you know everybody's okay so they called us all out and me and my children just ran up on a little bit of a grassy knoll and began to throw the frisbee for a little bit. And as a father, I'm thinking, okay, we've you know, just come out of the sand. Our shoes are off. There's probably bees. There's thorns. There's thistles. Do I make them put their shoes on or not? What's going to happen here? And things are going pretty well. So I'm like, all right, we'll just leave our shoes off. Whatever. Who knows what we'll step in? Dog poo. Whatever. But it'll come off here in a little bit, right? And so we're playing around on this grass. And I absolutely couldn't believe it. Like, it was genuinely perfect the grass was so soft it felt way better than the carpet in my house there were no bugs there were no thorns there wasn't even any dog droppings and i was just walking around in this grass and it was spongy and bouncing i'm thinking man if eden were really like this if the garden of eden was like this i could handle this I could walk around barefoot all day long and not be bothered at all. I'm not getting dewy. I'm not getting muddy. I'm not getting pricked. It's soft. It actually feels really good. We were running, and it wasn't hurting our feet. 
Now, as I think about that in small scale, this is Hawk Island Park. I cannot imagine what the Garden of Eden must have been like. You have every single fruit tree there you can imagine. Anything you want to eat all the time, perfectly bountiful, grass, flowers, everything just right. That is going to be really cool. Well, you add to that not only the perfect environment, but then you add to that perfect bodies as well. And you realize that you will be restored just as Christ was restored. You too will be restored. And you'll no longer suffer from all these aches and pains and the joints and the recovery and the colds and illness and everything else. You'll actually feel good to do strenuous activity and you won't have this long recovery, but instead you will enjoy it. You'll have a perfect body as well. Not only will you have a perfect environment, not only will you have a perfect body, but you'll also have a perfect rule. There's no more politics. There's no more parties. <laughs> There's no more government. There's no more police. There's no more armies. There's nothing. There's just Christ. And everybody has to agree that He's always right. There's no question. There's no debate. There's no smaller debate. There's just Jesus. And there you are enjoying this perfect place where there's no question about who's in charge and he gets it right every time. So you have a perfect body, you have a perfect environment, you have a perfect ruler, and you have perfect harmony and peace with everyone around you. There's no questions about he shed, she shed, what they meant by that, I'm not so sure, how are we, blah, 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 nothing. It's true, perfect, selfless love all the time. As embodied by Christ and now fully realized in you and anyone who doesn't agree with that are sent away. They're separated. You have a perfect environment. You have perfect rule. You have perfect bodies. You have perfect relationships. And ultimately, as a result, you will have perfect worship as well. That everybody from every tongue and every tribe and every ethnic background and every, 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 every everything else are going to come together and worship the king. I think this is going to be absolutely amazing. The other night we went to a loons game. See, we're really doing it upright here in the summer, right? Loons game, lancing, canoeing, kayaking, whatever. Great times. Went to a loons game. And my favorite part, not only of loons games, but of just about any sporting event, is when you have, you know, in a loons game, 4,000, but in a bigger game, you know, 10,000 people all standing up at the same time and, you know, saluting the flag and singing the national anthem. And, of course, I'm American and I feel great about that, but it's not just about being American. I think there's something special about everybody coming together at the same time to actually stand in unison and agree upon something. And here we go and, you know, we sing and we stand and we show respect and honor and dignity and we look up at the flag and we pledge our allegiance and we listen to this huge chorus of people who are completely diverse and don't agree with us on anything else, but we're all singing together this one song at the same time. And then the you know jets go over and the fireworks go off and the shivers go down your spine and you're just like, woohoo, play ball, all right. You know, this is awesome. I think in a very small way that is a tiny itty bitty infinitesimal hint of what heaven is going to be like. In heaven, we have the perfect environment, we have the perfect bodies, we have the perfect rule, we have perfect peace, we have perfect harmony, and we have perfect worship when everybody comes together and sings the same new song 
in agreement in Christ's perfect rule. I think that's going to be awesome, don't you? Amen. And so as a result, this is what happens. When you begin to focus on that, your perspective changes. It really changes. And that's why Paul says it like this. He summarizes it beautifully in Romans chapter 8. He says, now that you've gone through this disorientation, you've got a new orientation. And this is what it's like. He says, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For all of creation waits with eager longing for revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. That's what we're looking forward to. And it's so, so exciting. But in our lives right now, sometimes that's a bit hard to realize. Now, this week I was at a gathering, a celebration, and uh, one of the, per, a couple different people came to me there after I explained my use of stories the previous week. And they said, hey, are you finding any stories? You know, and they're all wondering, you know, am I going to be in the next story? So for those of you who asked, challenge accepted. <laughs> Here you go. There was a game going on at this celebration and it's called Jenga. And it wasn't being played with the little pieces, but instead... They were using like two-by-fours that were cut up. So it was a great big stack of blocks. And the object in this game is they're stacked three, you know, uh, basically perpendicular to each other and on top of each other. And the object is to pull out a block without knocking the whole pile down. And what was fun is I brought my boys over to the side and I said, okay, guys, let's watch this. I didn't really want them to come engaged because if they do, they'll pull out a block and this huge pile will come tumbling down on their heads and it won't go well for us and we'll have to go home. But we were watching from the outside. And from the outside, it was really a lot of fun. Because you could watch these kids getting in it and they're just like... (laughs) You know, and they're so intense and they're so focused and they're just like, this can't collapse on me, you know. Man, if this collapses on me... it's the end of the world and all their buddies are focused and they're concentrating and they're just like you know you pull it out and you stack it up and it's your tower and you can't let this tower collapse i mean it's all on you right this whole thing hangs on you live or die success or failure stand or fall it's all on you oh and it's so intense and you're watching this game meanwhile my boys and i are just like Man, this is a good game, you know. Who cares? And that's what happens. See, when you're in the game, here's the analogy, guys. Here you go. When you're in the game, you get so wrapped up in it. You're so focused. You can't see anything else. And you think the whole world lives or dies, stands or falls, or hangs on your very next move. It's all on me. Pressure got to get this right with my family, my career, my relationships, my job, my church, my community, my education, my future. It's all about me. And if I pull out the wrong block, boy, this whole thing's coming down. Wrong. It's not about you. There's a much bigger, grander vision going on here. A great big picture. It is God and His kingdom and His rule and His reign. 
And yes, you have a small little piece or a part in that, but it doesn't all hang or fall on you. And when you begin to step back from that a little bit, remove yourself from the game and realize, wow, there's a bigger picture. All of a sudden, your perspective changes. This thing that used to be so intense becomes a little bit more fun. And you can enjoy the other participants in the game. And if they win, good for them. And if you lose, whatever, no big deal. Because God's got it all under control. It's all about Him. When you step back, you change your perspective. All of a sudden, you're able to sing a new song. Sing to the Lord a new song. Ascribe to Him the glory due His name. Now, what's really cool is if you watch this process, what's basically happening throughout the the sing, the ascribe, and the share is a perfect picture of the Christian life. You know, you're a non-Christian. All of a sudden, you become a Christian. You got a new song. Now, what is your song? Your song is to sing to God, the glory due His name. And as you proclaim that glory, then naturally you move forth into the realm of evangelism. So your perspective changes, your goal changes, your orientation changes, and all of a sudden your purpose changes and everything you do changes as well. And you move through this process. So let's look at the second one then, which is to ascribe. Ascribe. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Now, uh, teenagers, you probably don't walk around going down the hallway being like, hey dude, ascribe some. Or something like that, right? Okay, it wasn't cool. I'm sorry. Whatever. <laughs> you know, I tried. <laughs> One of the questions they asked is, how are you going to identify with youth? And I'm trying here, okay? <laughs> no. Whatever. <laughs> ascribe. Let me give you some idea of what ascribe means, okay? Here we go. Napoleon said it like this. Never ascribe to malice that which is inadequately explained by incompetence. <laughs> There's a good idea for you. Here's another quote. It says, A lot of people ascribe to luck what is not luck at all. Instead, it is seeing what other people don't see in pursuing that vision. Finally, the poet Ralph Waldo Emerson said it like this, We ascribe beauty to that which is simple. The idea of ascribe is to give credit where credit is due, is to chalk up or attribute to something. And herein lies the meaning of our existence. The purpose of all of creation is in fact to ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. What is the chief end of mankind? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Here it is in this psalm said specifically like this. Ascribe, ascribe, ascribe. Give God the glory that is due Him. This is your purpose. This is your meaning. This is the reason for life. Ascribe to God the glory due His name. Now, let me give you a little bit of example. I see Pastor Chuck sitting back there and I know that he is competitive and a ping pong player. I thought about calling him last night to ask his permission to do this, but then I thought it would be much more fun if I didn't. (laughs) So, before we get to Pastor Chuck, here's a little story. My son uh, was in the class of one of my colleagues at my 
previous employer at the church. Her name was Bonnie, and there was a large children's department there. And her husband went on a men's retreat that I led. And as a result, late one evening, uh, we had an opportunity to play some ping pong. And it's been a long time since I played ping pong. But after a while, I got a little warmed up, and things started going better for me. And he challenged me, and he beat me the first game. But we weren't playing just one game. We were playing best of whatever. And before long, I was beating him pretty good. And then I tried to, you know, I'm a Christian. I'm a pastor. So I'm just like, okay, good game, dude. <laughs> you know, Not going to say anything. But I go back home from that retreat. And I'm like, aha, here's my way in. I see my son. This is what children are good for, right? <laughs> and I'm like, hey. This Sunday, I want you to go talk to Miss Bonnie, and I want you to ask her to ask her husband who won the ping pong game. (laughs) And so sure enough, he did, and the next day, of course, she came back to work, and she was just laughing at me. She's like, you silly goose, you know? That was something else, because it was a nice way of sort of underhandedly rubbing it in a little bit. In other words, bringing glory out of this ping pong situation. So here's your opportunity today too. I know there's, I don't know, a thousand of you sitting here. If you see Pastor Chuck going down the hallway, I want you to ask him a little question for me. (laughs) Ask Pastor Chuck who won the ping pong game. (laughs) I'm just saying. (laughs) I don't know. It's glory, right? And we're all going after it even when we shouldn't. That is glory. And the point of your existence is to bring glory to God. Now, it actually goes way beyond bragging about ping pong. And in fact, it involves not only the accomplishment or the work, but the person itself. Glory includes two different things. Not only the work, but the person. The person and the work. So when you look at the person, you're asking yourself the question, are they worthy of it? What is their character like? Should I in fact attribute to something that they deserve or is it undeserved? And there are many things that we can say to God alone be the glory. For example, all the omnis. Does anyone in this room know everything? Does anyone in this room have the ability to do anything? Do we have the ability to be at all places at all times? No, none of us do. And yet, God is all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present. His person is his character, his essence, are worth it. You can ascribe to him glory based on the fact that you're not even bragging. It's just the way it is. This is who he is. He is by nature, by definition, glorious. His character is perfect. It is holy. It is just. It is true. It is infinite. And as a result, we can adequately say we're not bragging in any way whatsoever this is simply true that we must ascribe to him the glory that is due his name he is by nature by definition glorious that's who he is that is his person but his work hey the proof is in the pudding right you wouldn't go to a dentist with bad teeth you wouldn't go to a hairdresser with bad hair you wouldn't go to a personal trainer who's way out of shape i mean think about it the person has to match the work. 
And here we are looking at the work of God and we see his acts in history. And as you read this psalm, it shows you his creative power. It shows you his redemptive power. It shows you his wisdom in everything that he does. There is creative power or prowess. There is salvific power. And there is historical knowledge as well. And when you watch the Lord bringing all of these things together, you step back from the situation, you remove yourself from the game, and you say, wow, look at all that. Oh, mercy. Now that was done well. I had no idea where this thing was going, but man, did you bring it together. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. He is perfect in every way. This is one of the neat things, of course, about singing praise to Jesus is you look at his person, you look at his work, and you say, wow, he's perfect. His character, his humility, his justice, his love, his grace, his knowledge, his power, it's perfect. And his work, look at it, on the cross, sacrificing himself on our behalf, raising from the dead, being lifted to heaven and ascended and seated at the right hand of God, that is something special. Wow. Ascribe to him the glory due his name. Here's where we begin to fulfill our purpose in life. And then as we do so, well, it's really no big deal after that. You can see from my silly example of me bragging about ping pong, when you're excited about something, you want to tell other people about it. And that's the next step. You've been through this process You've experienced God's grace. Your perspective has changed. And now you're so overwhelmed by that that you're just like, hey, i got to tell you, man, <laughs> I don't know what your situation is, but this is really cool. I was all messed up, and wow, did I have things out of whack. And then God came along. I'm overwhelmed by his grace. I'm singing his praises. I've stepped back, seen the bigger picture, and let me tell you, it's made a difference. Say among the nations, verse 10, The Lord reigns. It's about Him and His kingdom. It's not me and what I'm building. It's Him and what He's building. Let the heavens be glad. Let the fields exalt. Let the trees sing. All these anthropomorphisms or things that aren't people being acting like people just to say that God is great. Everything is going to say that God is great. This is so cool. Look at His person. Look at His power. Look at His acts. God is great. Say this among all the nations. Here's the process God wants you to go through in your Christian life. That you sing a new song. That you ascribe to Him the glory due His name. And then you tell everybody you come in contact with what you've experienced. Sing to the Lord a new song and say among the nations, the Lord reigns. 4 verse 13 says, the Lord He comes He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in faithfulness. In other words, rejoice. Rejoice. The king is coming to make everything right. I started today with the story of a bear. And in fact, the chapter is called Two Bears. But I'd like to take my second bear story, not from... Little House on the Prairie, but instead Daniel chapter 7. In Daniel chapter 7, there is another bear 
seen in the vision of Daniel, and it goes a little bit like this. You can just listen. It says, In the first year of the king of Belshazzar's reign, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and vision as he lay in his bed. And he saw four great beasts. The first was like a lion, and the second one like a bear. Another was like a leopard, and the fourth beast was worse than all the rest. And he watches as God describes the movement of history in terms of these great animals. One kingdom rises up, smashes the next one. Another kingdom rises up, smashes the next one. And we go through this period in the cycle over and over again until ultimately the true king comes forth. In verse 9 he says, As I looked, the thrones were placed all around, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. Thousands served him, tens of thousands stood before him. And the court sat in judgment, and the books were open. I saw the vision, and there came one like the Son of Man, the Ancient of Days. And to him was given glory, dominion, and a kingdom. In all peoples, nations, and languages would serve him. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. And his kingdom, one that will never be destroyed. Amen? Amen. And thus he said, here comes the fourth beast. He will speak against the Most High and will wear out the saints of heaven. And they shall think to change the times and the law. And they will be given into his hand for a time and a time and a half. But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion will not be taken away. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms of the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. And his kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all the dominions shall serve him. Two bears. One got slapped on the behind by maw. And the other is absolutely crushed by Jesus Christ. He comes in and puts all other kingdoms and all dominions under his feet and rules forever and ever. Until that time, we sit in this land in between and we look forward to his coming. But I want to encourage you, no matter how much you feel this whole thing is hanging on you, be encouraged. It's not. You can step back from the game and realize, hey, I'm not building this thing Jesus is. And there's going to be one kingdom that rises up and another that does and another that comes and another that falls. But in the end, it all comes down to this. All of creation, everything, is eagerly anticipating the return of the king. And it's to that end we sing a new song. Father, we thank you for your great work. Lord, I admit my perspective gets messed up sometimes. I get discouraged and I look around and I think that all this hangs on me. And yet it doesn't, Lord. You're doing your work. Your justice and your righteousness and your grace and your power will be seen. One kingdom comes and another goes. But ultimately, Lord, you are the King of kings. And so, Lord, now as we bow our hearts and submit ourselves to you, we pray that you'd give us that new perspective, calm our spirits, and give us confidence and joy as we look forward to the coming of the King of Kings. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen. Stand and sing with us one more time. Ascribe to him his greatness.